What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for kicking off your week with us. This is your Monday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a Sports Ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me over on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. That's where you find all of our new content on the baseball side, whether it be podcasts, articles, news and notes, polls, any information on the site, and literally anything baseball related at all that we do have here at Sports Ethos. We do share that out at Ethos Fantasy BB. So make sure you guys are following along over there, even though it's the offseason. There will still be news and notes. There will still be podcasts. There will still be articles. Everything that you guys will be looking forward to, to wrap up 2023 and to look ahead to 2024, we got you covered. So please do check us out over there. If you're not somebody who uses social media, please do go to sportsethos.com. You'll find all that same great content over there. But today we are going to transition into the outfield. I had mentioned this last week that unless we had major, major news Otani signing or you know a Soto trade or something like that. We're going to jump right into outfield, and that's what we are going to do. There have been a couple of small signings. Sonny Gray signed today, uh, and there's a couple of things that have happened over the weekend. Nothing that's earth-shattering, so we will do a show. We'll talk about that, but we'll let a few more transactions accumulate over the next week or so, and then maybe later on this week or early next week, we will kind of wrap up and see where we are in terms of the free agent and the trade landscape. But I don't think we need to do a whole show about Sonny Gray and about a couple of other little things that have happened. Kent Maeda signing last night as well. We will talk about them. Uh, it just will not be today. Today we are going to get going with the outfield reviews. It will take up most of the week. We'll probably get through the top 50. I know we've been doing about 25 players per position. We'll probably do roughly 50. It might be 40, uh, but we're going to go fairly deep with outfield because it's a much deeper position than pretty much all the other ones. Now we're going to do top 10 today. And that only gets us to number 31 overall if you're looking at Yahoo's rankings. Outfielders do take up a large chunk of the early round players. And it really depends on your format how you should view the position. If you're playing in a 10 or a 12-team league, I don't think you need to reach for outfielders very much. Especially because those leagues, 10-teamers, Yahoo, whatever, you're usually only filling three outfield spots. So in a 10-team league where you fill three outfield spots, you're looking at 30, let's call it 35 outfielders deep when you count utility spots, benches, 35, 37. It's not really that deep at that point. You can still find guys on the waiver wire. There are a lot more than 37 viable outfielders in baseball, right? So once you get into the deeper formats, that's when it gets a little trickier. You're talking about a 15-team league where there are five outfielders rostered, then all of a sudden there are 75 starting outfielders plus you got utility, plus you got bench. You're looking at like close to 90 outfielders, if not more in that kind of format. That's where you need to start taking your outfielders a little bit earlier. NFBC players, generally you need to take them earlier. If you're talking your shallow formats, it's still like it's not going to hurt you to take an Acuna in the first round or something. But you obviously don't need to prioritize it as much in those formats. And we're not going to get into all strategy show today, but that's a really important part of the fantasy piece is knowing your format. We're looking at ADP right now that is all two-catcher leagues on the NFBC. So you'll see guys that are going very high up behind the plate. And then when you transition into your single-catcher drafts, you have to have a different mentality, look at those ADPs, and transfer into the one-catcher mentality of, I don't need to reach for these guys. So it really does, a lot of this depends on your format, and just a reminder there to always know what you're playing, what the rules are, how many positions, everything. You need to know everything going into your draft and going into your season, of course. <clears throat> but let's get started. Let's start right at the top, as we have usually done here. And we will start with the number one overall player in fantasy this year. And by a lot of accounts, 
it was the greatest season in fantasy that we have ever seen from anybody. That's not me talking. That I mean, I, that is my opinion as well. But we also have historical data where you have player raters, especially if you look at Razball and different sites that give a dollar value to a season. Ronald Acuna was the most valuable we have ever seen for fantasy purposes. Every number is more ridiculous than the last. 41 homers. Ridiculous. 149 runs scored. 149 runs scored. 106 RBIs. Of course, he had 73 stolen bases, and he batted 337. I think the most impressive part of his season was the strikeout rate going down to 11.4%. He had always been a guy who ran relatively high strikeout rates his first few seasons, 25, 26 in the lockout year, or in the lockout year, in the COVID year. It was almost a 30% strikeout rate. Went down to 23 and 23 the last two seasons, and now he gets it to 114 that's absurd. Like, that is almost unheard of. You'll never see somebody cutting their strikeout rate in half and then doing everything else that he was doing with the 40 homers, the 70 steals, batting 337. He had never batted over 300 in a season before, Ronald Acuna Jr. He'd always been 280, 290, 266. Like, he was always good batting averages, but he went up to 337. And it wasn't even like he had some crazy high BABIP that led to that. It was a 338 BABIP. For his career, he has a 334 BABIP, and he's always generally in this kind of range. So it's not like he had some crazy lucky season where all the bounces went right. It was just a truly absurd output offensively from Ronald Acuna. Not something that I would expect to replicate at the exact same pace, and the projections are calling for a little bit of reject, uh, regression across the board here. They think he'll have 38 homers, 135 runs, 100 ribbies, 56 steals, and a 318 batting average, which would still comfortably put him in that number one fantasy spot for next season. He is the clear number one. When we're looking forward to 2024, there's nobody else that I think you can justifiably take at number one. There, I, you can, I've heard reasoning for, well, maybe this guy, maybe that guy. I think we're overthinking it if you take anybody else at the number one spot besides Ronald Acuna Jr. And I just tweeted this out before the show started, actually. So we talk, we've talked on the show a lot about ADP, about all the different drafts that are coming in. We now have 57 overall drafts. And I think last Friday when I last talked to you guys, I think we were at like 47 or something. I think there's been about 10 drafts over the weekend. And I didn't even realize this because we've been focusing on the infield, but Julio Rodriguez was taken with the number one overall pick in a draft. It was a gladiator draft. You guys have heard me talk about that format before. You draft your 23 players, and then there's no moves. That's it. Whatever happens, happens. There's injuries, tough shit. There's trades, tough shit. Doesn't matter. Those are the guys, once you draft, that are staying in your lineup the whole year. Someone took, I don't know who it is, someone took Julio Rodriguez as the number one and then let Ronald Acuna Jr. fall to number two. It's the first and only time that that has happened in draft season so far. I don't expect it to happen too much. Maybe we see the odd time somebody might want to jump up Bobby Witt, maybe Corbin Carroll, maybe Julio, maybe Mookie. It doesn't make sense, though. Like, these guys are clearly studs, don't get me wrong, but they're also clearly you know, a, a decent gap behind Acuna in terms of production this year and in terms of what you should be projecting for next year. 149 runs is the one that's, like, just absurd. No one's touching him in runs. Leading off for that team is you're not going to touch him. Stolen bases, he'll probably lead the league again. We know now that the strikeout rate down to what it is. Maybe it doesn't maintain to that degree, but it's going to lead to a very, very high batting average floor. The power is there. Everything is so legit with Acuna in the best lineup in baseball. I don't think you can really justify taking him at number one uh, 
or I, you can really justify taking anybody else at number one ahead of Acuna. I think he is clearly, clearly the number one player for 2024. My rankings and projections will reflect that, and so will probably everybody else's. Let's talk a little Mookie bets. If you've heard our position reviews, then you've probably heard us talk a little bit about Mookie because, well, one of the big parts of his value this season was his multi-eligibility. I know if you're playing Yahoo, you've had him at second base here and there over the years, and I think he did come into the season with second base. I think, I can't even remember now what it looked like at the beginning of the year, but he played 107 times in right, he played 70 times at second, and he played 16 times at short. So if you are playing on Yahoo, Mookie's getting all three of those positions again because he's at the threshold there in terms of games played. NFBC players, you're getting right field and second base, or outfield and second base from Mookie, which is still incredibly valuable. You know, we've talked about this a lot, and it really, honestly, in this case, doesn't depend on your format size. You take Mookie early on, and you have him in the outfield spot. You know, you have your second baseman get hurt, and there's not a lot of second base replacements. Then you can put him at second base. And, I mean, that does kind of depend on how deep your league is, because if you're in a five-outfielder league, odds are there's not that many outfield replacements either. But the luxury of being able to put him at either spot, you know, it's not Otani-esque exactly, but to have a player with that level of skill that you can rotate infield, outfield, you can put him in utility, you can put him in the middle infield spot, wherever, uh, there is a, there's a large piece of his value, I think, that will come from that. If you're in a shallower league, then you can put him at second base if you want, and then there's probably more outfield options that you can you know, take off. It really honestly doesn't matter. Like You can construct your team however you want, however the draft comes to you at that point. You take Mookie in the first round, and then you see that a lot of outfielders go off the board pretty quickly afterwards, then you think, well, maybe maybe I should put him in the outfield. You draft him first round, second, third overall, whatever, and then you see that nobody's taking outfielders. Then that just allows you a whole different strategy there. Like There are just a lot of ways that you can go about building your team with first-round Mookie. That's just from a positional eligibility standpoint. Then you factor in. He just had his career high in homers with 39. He was just close to his career high in runs with 126, right up there with 107 RBI, and he batted 307. First time he's been over 300 since his MVP season in 2018 with Boston. Overall, there's not that many safer players you can take. Like I said, from a roster construction standpoint, whether it's positional eligibility, whether it's the the stats you're getting from him, it doesn't really matter. Um, He's playing for one of the best teams in baseball. There's a good chance they're going to add Otani. And I think that you know if you do add Otani, even if you don't, we still saw what he did this year, 126 runs, 107 RBI. But you put Otani behind him in that order, man, uh, it's going to be a crazy season, I think, for the Dodgers. It, assuming they get Otani, and I know there's all kinds of rumors that every other franchise in the, in the league is going to get him. Any day now, I'll be expecting to hear Rockies and Athletics rumors. But I'm assuming he's going to the Dodgers. That's just going to bolster that lineup to a whole other level that we have not even seen before. So I think that the sky is honestly the limit for Mookie. He could potentially finish as a number one player. Now, I think there's a couple players who could finish number one. That does not mean I think you should be taking them number one. But Mookie is definitely one of those guys where if he even gets the steals up a little more, you know, he had 14 this past year. Let's say he gets like 17, 18, even 20 steals, which I don't know if that's really possible but that's kind of the one thing where he's kind of lagging behind a couple of those other early round guys, the Corbins, uh, the Corbin Carrolls, I should say, Bobby Witt. The steals aren't that high. He does make up for it with the power, with the batting average. But if he's able to get those steals up a little bit, that's where you could see number one overall season from Mookie Betts. I love him as a fantasy asset. 
I love that you can switch him out wherever you want to put him, second or outfield. That is a really huge part of it. We're going to keep drilling that in throughout this offseason because I really think that's an important part of how you build your teams, looking at the positional eligibility. And we kind of, you know, I've gone back and forth on this. Uh, you know, Sometimes I, I overvalue it. Sometimes I undervalue it. But I don't think you can possibly overvalue that that you're getting from an early first rounder. Usually those early first rounders, you're setting them and forgetting them. But you have a real luxury with Mookie to be able to switch him between two. And if you're playing a Yahoo, maybe even three positions. So there's a lot to really, really like about Mookie uh, going forward. Let's talk about number three, and that's Corbin Carroll. This is my guy. I was a huge, huge fan of Corbin Carroll coming into the year. I was only able to take him in one league, and that was my home league, because going into the season, the prices, the prices were really high on Corbin Carroll. They weren't unreasonably high, but he went into like a third round, and I think he ended up settling with like a second-round minimum draft pick last year. He was going in the 20s at the end of things, 20s, 30s. I liked him, but I didn't like him to that degree where I wanted to take that chance. And I was wrong because he had 25 homers, 54 stolen bases, a 285 batting average, 116 runs. And the only category where he kind of disappointed you a little bit was the 76 RBI. But that's not something I'm going to hold against Corbin Carroll. He was leading off for a good chunk of the year. He did bat third for a good chunk, and that's where a large portion of his RBIs did come from when he was in the third hole. But he also had 32 games batting first, 17 games batting second. So that's 49 games right there where he totaled only 18 RBI, and that's not on him. That's just the situation of where you are in the lineup. You're not going to have a hell of a lot of talent batting seven, eight, nine for Corbin Carroll to be driving in when he's leading off. Now, I don't know if he should be a leadoff hitter or a number three hitter. I think probably, honestly, one or two makes a lot of sense for him considering the speed that Corbin Carroll has. I know that's not really the thing in today's game anymore. It's just about on-base percentage. That's why you see a guy like Kyle Schwarber leading off. But his on-base percentage is still 362 this past season. He had an 8.8% walk rate. Really excellent numbers there. His first jump into the major leagues was a 27% strikeout rate last year, and we'd always seen him in the minors, mid-20s, sometimes even higher 20s. He had a 19.4% strikeout rate in his first full season. Incredible to get that number that low as a rookie. I mean, not a lot of players in all of baseball have a sub-20% strikeout rate. When you're doing it with the whole package that Corbin Carroll does with the power, with the speed, good lineup, good team contacts around him, uh, there's not really anything that's going to hold me back from drafting Corbin Carroll. The only kind of worry is his shoulder. He's had a couple shoulder injuries this past season. We were sending out prayer tweets, you know, one like equals, equals one prayer for Corbin Carroll's shoulder, and it seemed to work. We seemed to defend off the demons this past season, but he's still a young guy, and there's potential that that is a recurring problem. So that's why I've heard some people say maybe you shouldn't be taking Corbin Carroll in your first three or five picks. Now, the other side of that is he's a very young guy. Like He's going to overcome those injuries a lot quicker than somebody who is 32 or 35 years old would. Corbin Carroll, at this point in time, we're talking about a 23-year-old. There's still, you know, there's a lot of health in that body, even if there's a couple injuries there. there's a lot, Maybe a lot of health isn't the right word to use, but he's a very young guy who's going to bounce back relatively quickly from a lot of these injuries, I think. That doesn't mean it couldn't be something that does become more serious, more ominous, and causes him to miss significant time next year. I don't really worry about that. We have the whole offseason for him to you know, rest and do any kind of rehab or anything that he needs to do. And then I don't think going into next year there's any more injury risk with him than anybody else. You know, He played 155 games this year. It's not like what he dealt with this year seemed to be that serious. There were times when we thought it was going to be a very serious injury to Corbin Carroll, but in the end, you know, he missed seven games this year. So I can't really go out there and put an injury-prone kind of label on him. Not that I'd want to. 
But if I'm trying to look for reasons to stay away, reasons to be cautious, there's not really that many reasons I can see with Corbin Carroll that would lead me to really pass him up. In those first couple of picks, I'd probably take Mookie over him. You could argue taking Julio. You could argue taking Bobby Witt. But after that, like I think Corbin Carroll is absolutely at worst, should be a, a top five draft pick. Like I think you know, maybe if he's fallen to like six, that's okay. Uh, but right now his ADP is 4.75. He's gone as high as number two. He fell to number 11 in one draft, and I guess that's a room where a lot of people were worried about his injury status. But I don't think there's really too much of a need uh, to be that worried when you're getting Corbin Carroll somewhere not middle first round. It's still early first round. But even if you're getting him pick four, pick five, pick six, I think you're still going to be doing pretty okay with him uh, considering what we saw this year and considering the progression that he's expected to take, the, um, the projections for him. Just have him you know, doing a little bit more than what he did last year, except for stolen bases. Don't think he'll excel uh, that much more in stolen bases. 54 is about as much as you can hope for, but he's still projected for 42. And if he gives you anywhere in the 40s with that 20-plus homers, 100 runs, you know, probably 80-some-odd ribbies in that 270, 280 average, I think he's very comfortably sitting in the early part of the first round. Let's talk about Julio Rodriguez, the guy who now has been taken as the number one overall pick in fantasy this year. I was honestly not expecting it to happen. I mean, I figured that somebody at some point would take some other player than Julio. We're talking maybe it's a volume player. They play in, um, you know, they play in 40, 50 leagues or whatever, and they've got the number one overall pick eight times already. Well, maybe they want to mix it up once and take Julio. Maybe I get it there. But even then, I don't really think I can do it myself. Uh, that being said, Julio Rodriguez, he had a stupidly good season. And it's incredible because he was looking for the first little while this year like it was maybe not going to be a bust because we already knew what he was capable of from his first season. But it looked like a serious sophomore slump. April 27 games, he batted 239. We still saw the power with five home runs. But, you know, going into May, another five home runs with a 252 batting average. And then in June, three home runs, he batted 220. He didn't really get figured out until July when, again, it wasn't really the power, only four homers in July, but he batted 292, saw him steal six bases. You go into August, he hit seven home runs, and this is when he was absolutely unconscious. He batted 429 in the month of August, over 105 at-bats. He was absurd. 45 hits in that time frame. He stole 11 bases. That's what really made up the season for him was the month of August. And then September, he kept it going, not to the exact same extent. He still hit eight home runs. Batting average fell back down to 227. But overall, in the second half, you saw a 308 batting average with 19 homers from Julio. And over the course of the season, you know, even though there were ups and downs, we got 32 homers, 37 steals, a 275 average, 102 runs, and 103 ribbies out of him while playing in 155 games. There is reason to think that he could be the number one player in fantasy. You know, he saw him really improve on everything. The batting average came down a touch, but that's, you know, it came down nine points. That's not really a big deal. When you're gaining 12 steals, when you're gaining almost 30 RBI, 20 runs, and you're adding four home runs onto the total. Now, part of that is the volume standpoint. He went from 132 to 155 games played, so you're going to see more volume, but you're not going to see necessarily 30 more RBI or 28 more RBI uh, in a span of 23 games. Like, that's not, you know, what you can expect. That is because Julio was genuinely better this year as a whole than he was as a rookie. I know there were ups and downs, and there were times where he did look better as a rookie, but as a whole, what you got from him this season, I think he was I think he was better. Now, he could still... There's no real argument I could make for him to go number one over Acuna because there's just... I, I can't do it. Acuna's on a better team. There's more power there. There's more speed there. Higher batting average floor. 
I can't justify Julio for any real reason. But there's no reason to discount him after the first overall pick. If you want to take Julio Rodriguez at number two, at number three, at number four, he is right in that range. Like there is, there's no real doubts that I have about his game. I don't really doubt the lineup around him. It's a pretty solid overall unit. It's not like it's a world beating lineup, but it's still solid enough where he got 103 ribbies, 102 runs this year. I think that there's really a lot of security in taking Julio with those first couple picks. Don't overthink it. Don't think, well, maybe, you know, I can take Tatis here and maybe he gets to that point. Like, mm, no, Tatis should be going somewhere in the first round as well, probably. But th- don't don't overthink it with Julio. Take him number two to number four range and you'll be fine. That's where he should be going. That's where he is going. And that's generally where he should return value. Uh, if you're looking at overall rankers this season, he was the number nine overall player. Uh, I have no problem taking him comfortably inside the top five. Moving on here to the number five outfielder, and we have not even exited the top 10 overall players because this guy, he did finish at number 10. So five outfielders finishing in the top 10, just to give you some context there of how how chalky these guys were. Uh, the early names you drafted last year were, were very, very solid hit rate uh, in terms of the outfielders. And this guy was no different. This guy did exactly what you were hoping for, despite, you know, I've heard some people say before the season, of anybody being drafted in the first two rounds, the first 15, 20 picks, this guy has the highest chance to bust. And it did not happen at all. He had an incredible season. We're talking Kyle Tucker. We're talking 157 games, 29 homers, 30 stolen bases, a 284 batting average, 112 ribbies, and 97 runs scored. Kyle Tucker is turning into one of my favorite players in baseball, and I think there will be a point where he is likely the MVP of the league. Uh, just looking at what he's done from a plate standpoint, the walk rate this year was higher than we've ever seen it, up to 11.9%. The strikeout rate has been falling down every year since he pretty much debuted. He got it down to 136 this year. It had been low the last couple of years, 15.9, 15.6. Got it to 136 though. That is an incredible figure. He had a 140 WRC+. plus. He was a five-war player. Kyle Tucker is another one of those guys where if you wanted to take him with even as high as the second overall pick, I wouldn't doubt you. That's where he's gone this year. His ADP is seven, and he's gone between the two and ten picks. When you're looking at that lineup stability around him, it doesn't matter who the pieces are in Houston. They just are able to have successful offenses every year. Altuve gets hurt. That's okay. Mauricio Dubon's going to fill in and pretty much do not what Altuve does, but he's more than an adequate fill-in. You get Chaz McCormick coming up and being incredible. You got Yainer Diaz. Uh, this offense is just stupid. And now Kyle Tucker is not in the position anymore where we've seen him for several years now where sometimes he's batting far down the order. Uh, we did not see that, thank God, this year. He was either batting third, fourth, or fifth. 56 times at third. 43 times batting fourth and 56 times batting fifth. There's also one game where he batted second, but you're seeing him in the middle of that order where if you guys remember last year, the couple of years prior, we're seeing Tucker in the six and seven holes. We're wondering why, why, why? Why is he not scoring runs? Why are the RBIs not as high as we might have wanted to? It's because the team is not utilizing him properly, but now we see him batting in the heart of the order for the whole year, 97 and 112. Beautiful. We know those homer totals are going to be sitting Right around 30. The last three years, 30, 30, and 29. When someone tells you who they are, believe them. Kyle Tucker is a 30 home run guy. Batting average has gone 294, 257, 284. Kyle Tucker is somewhere in the 280 range. And the projections have him as a 286 batter. 
They think the stolen bases will go down a little bit from 30 to 25. But at that point, if you're looking at what they're projecting right now, 32 homers, 25 steals, and a 286 batting average, with the stats you're going to get in that lineup, the runs and RBIs, and you got the improved plate approach. I mean, Kyle Tucker could very easily, and another guy who could very easily finish as the number one player. He gets the 30 stolen bases. He stays healthy. He hits 35, 37 homers. I mean, I could see it. He's a guy that could very easily spike a 300 batting average season. Very easily could go 100 and 100 for runs and RBIs. Plus, like it could easily be like 110 and 110. No one would be shocked. Uh, you know, he's on a short list of guys that you take at number two behind Acuna. Again, I don't have any arguments to take him at number one, but at number two, he is about as solid as you can get. And honestly, there's a chance that he comes in at number two in my rankings for next year. We'll have to see how the projections work, but I'm thinking at worst, Kyle Tucker is going to be number three. There's a big, big glob after Acuna where I'm pretty happy taking any of them, and we've talked about all of those guys here. Betts, Carroll, Rodriguez, Tucker. Those guys are all adequate picks after Ronald Acuna Jr. More than adequate. They should be very comfortably first-rounders this season, but no different for Kyle Tucker. You know, he is still an absolute stud. It feels like he's been around a lot longer than he than he has, maybe. I mean, he's played at this point six years. Uh, the first couple of years were kind of abbreviated. But Kyle Tucker, he's only 26. He'll be 27 in January, but he's still so young, so much talent around him. He could very easily smash next season like he does every year. And not, I mean, I'm not saying he's going to smash next year as in he'll like break out because he's obviously broken way out, but he could return like a top two or three fantasy season. And I personally would not be surprised at all. Now let's talk about number six. And we talked about him actually just recently as last week. I forget which day we did the first part, first base review, Tuesday or something, but Cody Bellinger. We won't get into extreme detail on him because we did just talk about him, but Cody Bellinger had. A ridiculous bounce back season. You don't want to talk about cutting your strikeout rate in half. Bellinger went from 27 to 15, pretty damn close. 7.2% walk rate. He had a 307 batting average, which was the highest we've seen from him ever, even a couple points higher than his MVP year. 26 homers, 20 steals, 95 runs, and 97 RBI. And he missed 32 games this year. If he played a whole season, you're easily looking at 100 and 100, probably 30 homers, probably 25 steals. Now, Bellinger, I've kind of reserved judgment on him until we know where he is going to be playing next year. If he's playing in Yankee Stadium, which I think there's still a decent chance that he ends up playing in Yankee Stadium, I'm going to really like him in that ballpark. There's certain places, certain offenses, maybe where you wouldn't be as excited, but that's why we're reserving judgment here. Because I honestly have no idea where Bellinger's going to sign. No idea. I do know that the price is a little high, though. 51 is his ADP. 22 is the minimum. 88 is the maximum. Now, we talked about this on the first base show. If he signs with a favorable organization, he's got a good spot in the order, it's good talent around him, the ballpark doesn't suck, then 50-something isn't a bad price to pay for Cody Bellinger. You're paying fourth round in a 15-teamer. In a You're paying about fifth-ish round of a 12-teamer, I don't think that that's that bad. You know, Cody bounced back this season and showed us, reminded us why he was an MVP just a couple of years back. We've kind of written him off from ever being able to do that again. But maybe he did find himself this year and next year. We see him jump to 40 home runs. We see him have 30 stolen bases. We see him bat 300 again. It's totally possible. We just don't know what the way that his career path has gone, what we're going to get out of him in any given season. So he is a bit of a risk. I'm going to reserve full judgment. I do think it's a little bit early his price, but I want to reserve full judgment until we do know where he will be playing next year because I think that is a huge part of the equation. If he goes to a cavernous ballpark, he's playing in a big big ballpark, 
and he takes a nice long contract with a team that's not a huge market where he doesn't really have to worry about the spotlights being on him. He just wants to play baseball, get paid, and he's not really worried about the other factors. That would worry me a little bit. Like, uh, let's say he signs, I don't know. There's a bunch of different teams where he could sign where I wouldn't be happy. Like, any subpar offense, I think he is a guy who really will flourish from being surrounded by talent. We saw it in Los Angeles for all those years. That was how he was able to put up a lot of big counting stat seasons. We saw it this year. Even though it wasn't like a super talented team, it was a, still a very competitive offense, especially for parts of the summer. They were, for stretches, like the number one offense in baseball. So he needs to be surrounded by talent. I don't think Bellinger is the kind of guy who can just be an everyman on his own playing for Oakland and giving you 100 runs, 100 RBI. He needs to be surrounded by good players. He needs to be in a good situation coach-wise and, and city-wise, I think, at this point. And then I'll, I'll be a lot more interested in him. But like I've said a bunch of times now, let's reserve judgment. I don't want to fully say one way or the other um, what I feel about Bellinger because I really just don't know yet. But let's move on. Let's talk about Mr. Juan Soto. Juan Soto has really polarized people these last couple of seasons. And I don't understand why, but there are people who want to go out of their way to shit on Juan Soto. And I, I see it online pretty regularly, actually, and I, I just don't get it. So I tweeted this about uh, about a week ago. Uh, no, a couple weeks ago. So back-to-back down years for Juan Soto. I think we can all generally agree these last two years were not fully what we were expecting from Soto. He did pick it up this season, but overall, if you look at the last two years, quote-unquote down seasons for Soto. If you look at where he ranks statistically amongst his peers in a lot of major stats over the last two seasons, he is first in walk percentage. He's eighth in WRC plus with a 150 WRC plus. And for those who don't look at those numbers all day like I do, that means that Juan Soto has been the equivalent of one and a half players over the last two seasons. 100 is average. 200 would be the equivalent of two players. Uh, but Juan Soto has been worthy of a player and a half worth of production, even in back-to-back down seasons. He's eighth in WOBA, weighted on base average. He is fourth in on base percentage, 10th in OPS. He is the 15th highest isolated slugging percentage. He has a 51.4% hard hit rate, which is 10th in all of baseball. And he's hit 62 home runs in the past two seasons, which ranks 14th. Now, those are down seasons, aged 23 and 24 for Juan Soto, and he's still across the board a top 10 offensive player. So there's not really much need that I see to worry about Soto. He is the type of guy, you know, I just said with Bellinger, it really depends on where he's playing. Soto could be playing on the moon with a bunch of rocks, and it wouldn't matter. He'd still be, you know, a 100-run, 100-RBI kind of guy. It's just who he is. The talent will shine through to the point with Soto where even when he is not at his best, he's still getting on base at an absurd clip. He's going to end up with one of the highest on-base percentages of all time, the way he walks. He has a 19% walk rate in his career. It was 18.6 this season. He gets on base more than pretty much anybody. He still has 30-plus home run power, obviously. He got back up to double-digit steals this past season. Now, I think the Padres would be out of their minds stupid to trade him because they're not wanting to pay him. I, I don't know. How often does a player like Juan Soto fall into your lap? He's probably the most talented player to ever play for the franchise. Like, I don't, I don't even know how I want to compare him with Tony Gwynn. I didn't really see Tony Gwynn play a lot. And Tony Gwynn's another guy that people like to shit on for no reason because he didn't hit home runs or, or whatever stupid arguments people want to make. But Soto's arguably the most talented player to ever play for this franchise. They have him at age 25 you're going to trade him because you don't want to pay him. I mean, I think that would be absolutely absurd. And that's the writing on the wall. I don't think Soto is going to be back in San Diego. And if he is, it won't be for long. 
I just don't get it from that point of view. But he's a guy where the trade, I'm not really worried. He's not going to be traded to a terrible team. You just kind of know it, right? And I, again, I could be wrong here, but Juan Soto's not getting traded to the Rockies, or he's not getting traded to the Tigers, or you know, one of those kind of teams. He's going to go to like the Yankees or one of those bigger market teams, maybe the Mets. I think I could see the Mets doing it as well. And literally, just we saw what they did this past season, which is buying prospects at the deadline, trading Verlander, and you know, giving up tons of money to bring in these prospects. Um, I could see the Mets doing that. And but honestly, it doesn't matter to me where Soto goes. I think that he is who he is wherever. Obviously, it will matter to some degree if he's playing for a terrible offense then you're going to limit your counting stat potential, but I don't really see it as being a huge issue for him. Wherever he's playing, you're getting the on-base. So if you're on-base league, it truly, truly doesn't matter because he's had a 400-plus on-base percentage in every year of his career. You know you're getting 30-ish homers. You know you're getting close to double-digit steals. I just I just can't see it being a real issue where, wherever he's playing. I just think the issue here is the Padres literally just being so, so, so stupid in not just giving him whatever he wants and re-signing him. Players like that are literally generational. All the comparisons to Ted Williams I think are legit. Obviously, I didn't, and you guys didn't actually see Ted Williams play, but based on what we look at in the box scores, I mean, he's not exactly Ted Williams, but he's pretty damn close. I don't see why this team would not want to bring him back, sign him long-term. Now, Soto's going, generally speaking, in the first round. And I think it's fine. I think back end of the first round, there's no problem with it. I do tend to like to have more of a stable stolen base guy in the first round. But honestly, it, it's not a big deal. And he's actually just slipped outside of the first round in ADP, 15.4. And he has a pretty big gap between his minimum and maximum pick. His minimum pick was 8. He fell to 34th in one draft. Obviously, I don't have to tell you guys, if you're getting Juan Soto at the beginning of the third, then you're doing very well for yourself. I think... On the turn there, if you can combine him with a guy, like if you take Juan Soto and Jose Ramirez at the end of the turn there, uh, first, second turn, that is like a perfect start for me. You get a nice baseline of stolen bases, batting average, home runs, literally everything with those first two picks. And by ADP, Ramirez at 13, Soto at 15, you can actually legitimately do it. Uh, it's something I would consider for sure. I don't know that I want to take him all the time. Um, you know, in that range, just because of the stolen base thing. I don't know if he's going to have six. I don't know if he's going to have 15. Um, but if you're pairing him at the end there with somebody who does have a lot of steals, then I'm totally on board with it. Let's talk about number eight, Mr. Playoffs himself, Adelise Garcia. We've doubted Adelise Garcia for a lot of years as a fantasy community now, and we've kind of we've kind of started to shed that. I think now he has proven that he is so good. And, I mean, it was only a matter of time, right? How many years in a row are you going to go out there and produce until people eventually just say, okay, you know what, maybe we were wrong about Garcia. And now he's going in the 40s. 44 is the ADP, 24 is the minimum, 65 is the maximum. It was only a matter of time, right? Adelise Garcia, for the last three seasons, has been one of the most consistent producers in all of fantasy. But coming into this year, I mean, the last two seasons, we, we've seen it as well, that people were just not bought in based on the profile. High strikeout rate, low batting average. They thought it was a very risky profile. And they're not wrong. But 2021, when he first played, really it was his first season, 31 homers, 16 steals. He batted 243. This past season, 27 homers, 25 stolen bases. Excuse me, that was 2022. 27 homers, 25 stolen bases, and a 250 batting average. And then this year, 39 homers, only nine stolen bases, and a 245. So we know 
We know he's batting somewhere in the 240s. Maybe he gets in the 250 range. When you're getting everything else you're getting, especially with the counting stats, this year 108 and 107, last year 88 and 101, that team around him is just so, so good. Obviously, they just won the World Series, but offensively speaking, they were already one of the best offenses in baseball. Now you get a whole season of Evan Carter, who looks incredible, and then Wyatt Langford, who a lot of people haven't seen. I've only seen him on footage. Um, who will probably be up from maybe not opening day, but pretty damn early in the season next year. You're going to have such an offensive powerhouse of a team where you know Garcia, if he's healthy in these last three years, we're looking at 149, 156, 148. He has, knock on wood, been healthy. You're getting those 100 runs, 100 RBIs. You're getting those 30 homers. The batting average is the one area where he's not a big asset, and stolen bases are a wild card. From 16 to 25 down to 9, the early projections have him at 13. He could easily go for 13. He could easily, you know, take another step back and focus more on the power, and those nine turn into five. But it could also go back up to 25. So that's an area where you're not totally sure. But in the area where you're drafting him, you already probably have a stolen base anchor in the first couple of rounds. If Garcia gives you 25, then that's great. But if he doesn't, then you know he's making up for it in the other categories. This year, yeah, the stolen bases took a step back, but he also had his career high in homers. He had his career high in runs. He had his career high in RBI. He was focused more on that side of the ball. And the team wasn't really, I don't know, that interested in having him steal, I guess. I don't, I don't know. Like He just didn't really attempt that many. He only attempted 10. He was 9 for 10. He was efficient. But I don't think the team wanted him to be stealing that much. Maybe that is a pattern uh, that we do see continue. But either way, you're getting him there at the end of the third, beginning of the fourth. You're getting good on base percentage now, which was not something that we saw in the last couple of years. 10% walk rate. It's got the OBP up to like 330, which, I mean, I know it's not amazing, but it's definitely a lot better if you're playing in those leagues than you're getting a 240 batting average. You're getting 320 on base, 39 homers, 100 and 100. Garcia is like a top 25 player, at least in those kind of formats, at least. And I don't even think it's like the craziest on base percentage, but he's walking 10% of the time. We saw him in his first couple seasons, 5% and 6%. Up to 10% of the time is a huge deal. He went from 40 walks to 65 walks. We're not talking intentional walks either because he wasn't walked at all intentionally in 2023. This is something that's just you know a natural progression of his style, I guess. He's just gotten better with age. His eyes gotten better. He's matured more as a baseball player. He did debut later than most players do. He didn't debut till 25, didn't really become a regular until he was 28 years old, but he's making the most of it. There's no reason to doubt Adelise Garcia in that lineup. I think that he can smash again. And you're paying a higher price than you have in years past, but you're paying the correct price. You're paying the actual real market value as opposed to people pushing him down because they're scared of, you know, if he could do it again. He's done it again twice now, and now people are having to pay the correct price for Adelise Garcia. But I'm totally in. At the end of the third, beginning of the fourth, I don't think you can get hurt too much, assuming that he stays healthy. Moving on to number nine, we have Luis Robert. And I honestly, I, I don't think I was expecting this coming into the season. It's all a matter of health, right? Like, we know the talent's there. We've seen it through his first three seasons. Even though it was small sample sizes, 56 games, 68 games, 98 games, the per-game, per-at-bat talent is ridiculous. In 2021, in 68 games, he batted 338. He had 13 homers. 2022, he played 98 games, 12 homers, 11 steals. He batted 284. All he needed was health. And he got it this year for the most part, 145 games, and we saw 38 homers and 20 steals. That's about as much as you can possibly hope for from Lou Bob. I know that some people might have wanted more, 
And I mean, I guess you're always wanting more, even if it's Acuna. But this is about as much as you could have possibly dreamed of when you drafted Luis Robert. Probably somewhere in the third round. Maybe you got him in the fourth this past season. You got a healthy season where he almost went 40-20. Now, the batting average, it ended up at 264, but that's because he was slumping later on in the season. It should have been higher. But he batted 206 in the month of September. Every other month, you know, you're looking at 310, 293, 266, 280. It was not the greatest of second halves for him. He definitely fell off a little bit. But overall, you got a very, very, very good healthy season from Luis Robert. Now, projecting that going forward is anybody's guess. I have no clue if Luis Robert is going to stay healthy or not because nobody does. There's a lot of injuries in his past, but he just showed a healthy season. So I think we have to kind of give him the benefit of the doubt at this point and say, okay, you showed us you can be healthy, which is a step that we had not seen yet. We had not seen that coming into this year. You know, if he had played 92 games this year or 17 games, I think anybody would have been like, yep, Luis Robert. Couldn't have expected much more or much less. But now that we got a big full season where he produced, you know, not first-round value, but he was the 30th overall player, you know, you're talking about second-round value in a 15-teamer. You're talking third-round value in a 12-teamer. I think you kind of have to give him the benefit of the doubt and say, yeah, I think he can do this again. Now, the team around him is going to be absolutely atrocious, but it didn't really hold him back this year. There are certain guys who are kind of immune to that team context, and Luis Robert, I think he's one of them. 90 runs and 80 RBI for this team in only 145 games. I mean, you can't can't say that that's anything other than what you were hoping for. Projections for next year have him for 85 and 98 runs in RBI. And if he stays healthy, yeah, that's probably about right, even with a piss-poor team around him you know that he is self-sufficient there as a fantasy player. He's going to steal. He's going to hit home runs. It doesn't really matter if there's a ton of guys on base or not. Luis Robert is going to be producing for you. Now, his price has kind of varied a little bit. I got him in the third round in Arizona in the draft we did there. But his price has gone from anywhere from 13, so he does have a first-round minimum, up to 37. Now, I wouldn't take him in the first round. There's no need to. It's too risky for me, especially when you can get him you know, at the end of the second, beginning of the third kind of range. That's where he should be going, I think. Uh, you know, there's enough injury concern baked into the price there where I think you can take a chance. Uh, I wouldn't take him on every single team if you play in a bunch of different leagues. But I could definitely get behind taking a share or two uh, at the end of the second, beginning of the third. Preferably at the beginning of the third, but I don't think it really matters that much. If he's healthy, he's going to smash it. And we saw it this season that he can very, very easily do that. If he didn't slump down the stretch, you're looking at closer to a 300 average. Maybe you see him get the 40 dingers. I just think that there's a lot we can still see here with Luis Robert that we haven't even scratched the surface up. He's only 26 years old. There's still a long way for him to go. We could see this fantasy value, honestly, even just get higher. Uh, And from a redraft perspective, I'm not talking dynasty, but from a redraft perspective, we could see Luis Robert go healthy and have a 40-30 season where he bats 300, and then next year he is a first-rounder. I think that that's totally possible. I'm not drafting him expecting that. But that's the ceiling. If you guys are talking about, like, what's the ceiling for Luis Robert? First-round player, absolutely. The floor is a lot of time missed with injury. So it is, you know, you do have to kind of weigh those two risks. But I think especially if you're getting him in the round, in the third round, or if he's fallen, you know, late third, then there's really not that much risk uh, in the pick there. So I'm I'm taking him. I'm taking him where he's going uh, in the middle of the third. I'm probably not pushing him up, though, to the end of the second. I think that's a little bit too risky for me. But let's round off this top 10 show with Lane Thomas. I know who you guys were all expecting coming into the season to return top 10 outfielder value. 
and overall value at number 31. I don't think there's a lot of people in all seriousness who were expecting anything from Lane Thomas, but maybe we should have been. If you look at what he did last year, it was a promising season. 17 homers, 8 stolen bases. He batted 241. It was nothing to write home about, really, but he was definitely somebody that was on your radar in 15-teamers, somebody that you were using. It was a pretty valuable player. Uh, 17 homers, 8 stolen bases, 241. It's not amazing, but 15-team radars, he was definitely on them. Now, coming into the season, Lane Thomas was not somebody that was going to be that interesting, right? 12-team leagues, 10-team leagues, maybe even some 15-team leagues where he wasn't drafted. But then we get a 28-homer, 20-stolen base, 268 batting average season out of him where he scores 101 runs and he has 86 RBI. Really unbelievable value that you got from Lane Thomas. And we've talked about who was the best value in drafts this season. Was it Cody Bellinger? <coughs> Excuse me. Was it one of the pitchers you got? Maybe late Sonny Gray. You can make a pretty strong case that it was Lane Thomas. Like he was definitely at worst like a top five value in all of fantasy baseball in 2023. Obviously, the big question with him is repeatability. And I I don't know that we're going to really be seeing what we saw again last year. Like, I think that there's a chance that he is able to build off of it, that he's able to even just replicate it. But there are some, some warning signs that I don't love. Uh, the strikeout rate has gone up a little bit each year over the last couple of years from 23 to 24, now close to 26. That walk rate is really not good. We saw in his first couple cups of coffee with St. Louis, close to 10, sometimes even above 10% walk rate. That went down to 7.5 in 2022, and his walks went down to a really bad number of 5.3% this past year. 5.3% with a 25% strikeout rate is not great. It's really not great. So that's the first kind of warning sign that we have here from Lane Thomas. If you're looking at BABIP, it was 325, which is not like a crazy high number, but for him it was. He's a 300 BABIP guy coming into the season. I know it wasn't a huge sample size, but generally speaking, you're probably looking at closer to 290 for him, 280, 290. Maybe he touches 300, but either way, I don't think a 268 batting average is terribly likely to repeat itself. I think you're probably looking at closer to 250, maybe 260, but even that might be pushing it a little bit. In terms of the power, is he really a 28 home run guy? I don't necessarily think so. I mean, he had a 200 ISO, which is which is okay. It's pretty good. But he went from 17 up to 28, and I just don't think that there was ever really that much uh, power cred from him in the minor leagues. We saw one year where he was in double-A with St. Louis where he had 21 homers in 100 games. Outside of that, we haven't really seen a ton of power from him. So I can't really project that, yeah, oh, yeah, he's going to you know, he's gonna hit 28 home runs again. He might even hit 30. Like I'm more along the lines of he might hit 20. Projections have him for 24. I think that you're probably looking at that's a best-case scenario, 24. I think you're looking 20 homers. You're looking maybe 80 runs. You're looking 70 to 80 RBI. I think that he's still going to be valuable but I don't think that he is going to be anywhere near as valuable as what we saw this year. And people aren't drafting him expecting that necessarily, which is good, but it's also something to keep in the back of your mind once we really truly are drafting in earnest, because right now there's not that many people drafting. Once you really get into things, you got, you got to remember this, because Lane Thomas, his minimum pick is very high, 55. Some people will just see the year he had and think, well, he can do something similar. 
The maximum pick is 137, which is probably closer to where he should be going, and the ADP as a whole is 110, which is okay, but I don't think it's amazing. You're still talking about a team that is not good offensively. He's got C.J. Abrams ahead of him in the lineup, or the projected lineup. C.J. Abrams projected a leadoff, and we went over C.J. Abrams a couple times this offseason already. There are some big red flags with him as well. Then you got Lane Thomas, you got Kiber Ruiz, who I really like, Kiber Ruiz, I think he's solid, but then Joey Manessis, who stinks, Luis Garcia, who's, uh, I mean, he's pretty good, but he also spent time in the minors this year because he was struggling, and then you got Stone Garrett, Jake Alou, Carter Keboom, and Victor Robles. It's a shitty team. There's not going to be that many great opportunities for Lane Thomas, and he's not one of those self-sustaining players like a Lou Bob. He's not somebody that you can just say, Oh, he's going to be he's going to be fine. It doesn't matter what's going on with him, he's going to be fine. I don't know if you can be that confident with Lane Thomas at all here. He was leading off bad and second a lot of the season, led to a good number of runs, <clears throat> but I don't know that that's something that's really sustainable year after year. We saw him go from 62 runs to 101. Eh, I'm going to lean more into the fact that he probably just had one of those seasons where everything goes right. And he put up a fantastic stat line. And if you had him in fantasy, you benefited. You probably you know earned some money this year. But I don't see it being terribly repeatable. So I am going to be generally kind of fading him where he's going, especially if people are pushing him up into the top 100. That minimum pick of 55, you're talking fourth round Lane Thomas. I can't see myself constructing a team with Lane Thomas in the fourth round and coming away feeling really good about it. If I'm taking him in the seventh or the eighth round, maybe. But even then, as I'm saying it, I don't feel uber confident that that's going to really return great value for me. So I'm going to overall be a pass on Lane Thomas. There's also been talk that he might get traded this offseason. I don't expect it. I just think he'll probably still be in Washington. There's no need for them to trade him. If he does get traded, maybe that improves his situation. It can't really get worse from a team context point of view. So maybe if he gets traded, we'll reevaluate and I'll like him a bit more. But as of right now, I think generally speaking, i got to be out on Lane Thomas. Let me know what you guys think, though. If you got any questions, comments, concerns, anything like that, reach out over on Twitter at JoeOrico99. Of course, at EthosFantasyBB as well. That's where you get all of our new podcasts, articles, any content on the baseball side does get shared out on Twitter at EthosFantasyBB. And of course, SportsEthos.com is the website for you guys to be checking out. But that'll do it, guys. We'll pick it up tomorrow. We'll go through 11 to 20. But until then, take care. Have a great night. And cheers. Cheers.